<laughs> the, the one and not only. All right, it is great to be here. Rebecca, I am putting 45 minutes on the clock, and I will be done in 45 minutes as promised. Um, unless you guys ask really good questions, in which case Rebecca will hate me forever because I'll go over 45 minutes. But, uh, okay, guys, I'm very excited to be here. I think this is my first time actually getting to learn with you guys this semester. And as always, it's really an honor and a pleasure. So we're going to do a very intense, um, really, really life-changing discussion tonight. And it's going to be hopefully about your future and uh, really the future of the Jewish people. We're going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about marriage a little bit, and I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the most transformative science of how to have long-lasting love. Okay, you guys interested in learning about that? Is that a topic everyone cares about? It should be. It sells. It's in every song. It's in every article in the newspapers, magazines, right? Everyone wants to know how to find love. Do you guys want to learn how to find love and keep it? Raise your hands. Yes, everybody in? Okay, great. So we're going to start talking about the upcoming holiday of Shavuos. Shavuos is coming up in just another, uh, just about two weeks, two and a half weeks. We're going to be uh, celebrating, commemorating the holiday in which we received the Torah. Okay? You guys uh, might have learned a little bit about it already. If not, we will be learning about it together. Um, so the Talmud says a very interesting thing. Can you guys see my screen? Everyone? Screen? Let me get a thumb up. Great. Okay. So we're gonna, this is called the message of Mount Sinai, the mystical meaning of marriage and mitzvahs. And um, the Talmud says a very th interesting thing. When the Jewish people stood at Mount Sinai, the Torah uses a very weird language. The Torah says that the Jewish people camped under the mountain. And the Talmud says, what does that mean? They camped under the mountain. So says the Talmud that... God held the mountain over our heads, lifted up Mount Sinai, and held it over the entire nation. And there are two interpretations of what that means. Interpretation number one is that God held it over our head like a chuppah, a wedding canopy. That at Mount Sinai, we got married to God. The Jewish people got married to God. The two tablets of the Ten Commandments was our wedding contract. And we literally got married, and that became a lifelong relationship with God and the Jewish people. But there's another radically different interpretation, which is really going to shape our whole discussion tonight. The Talmud says that God held the mountain over our heads and said, If you accept the Torah, great. If not, I'm going to crush you with this mountain. And that is very problematic. It's problematic for so many reasons. But one of the main reasons why it's problematic is because in marriage, according to Jewish law, you can't have an arranged marriage. You guys know that? Like you might have heard about like Hasidic marriages, which are kind of arranged. The parents, they get set up with a matchmaker, but they have to meet each other. They have to like each other. They have to say yes. If it's forced in any way, it's not a kosher marriage. You have to see each other. You have to like each other. That goes for both the, the husband and the wife. So how could it be that God held the mountain over our heads and forced us to accept the Torah? And number two reason why it's problematic is because before this incident took place, the Jewish people said, I do. We're in, God. We want to marry you. We'll do whatever you tell us. We want to be part of your nation. We want, to, we want to reveal you in the world. Just tell us what to do. So why did God have to force us to accept the Torah? We already essentially accepted it. So 
What we're going to discuss now is the connection between being forced to accept the Torah and becoming married to God. And you're going to see that these two ideas of coercion and marriage are very intricately bound up in a very surprising and unique way. But before we go and talk about Torah and the purpose of Torah and mitzvahs and our marriage to God, we're going to talk about marriage. Okay? How many of you guys would like, I'm going to unshare my screen real quick so I can see, how many of you guys would like to get married someday? Sizable amount. Great. So the sad reality is, before having heard this class tonight, 50% of you are lot. Oh, sorry, I forgot to ask the next question. 50% of you, uh, unfortunately, before tonight, might tragically end in divorce. Because the divorce rate right now is even higher than 50%. And how many of you would like to get divorced someday? Good. So I hope and I bless you all that none of you should ever have to go through that trauma of divorce. I guarantee that if you listen to what we talk about tonight and then continue learning it and reviewing it and discussing it before marriage, that you don't have to get divorced. When I was a kid, my parents got divorced when I was in third grade. And back then, this was in the 80s, I didn't know anyone else who was divorced. Now, my guess is probably at least 50% of you guys have come from divorced homes, have friends who are divorced, right? A lot of divorce in the world right now. So the rates have been rising ridiculously. When I was a kid, I was the only divorced kid I knew. I was so embarrassed that when kids would come over to my house, I would tell them, oh, my dad's at work. And when I was younger, I used to fantasize about what it's going to be like when I get married. And do you know, listen to how twisted this is. I never envisioned myself having a happy marriage. I envisioned having a really, really good divorce. How sad is that? Seriously. And I can guarantee 100% that without the Torah secrets of marriage, I would be one of those statistics. There is no way I would have stayed married without the, the knowledge that the Torah shares of how to have a successful marriage. So what I'm sharing with you is golden. Okay? I really and truly believe that. So let's uh, go back to the screen share. Now, we have to see, right, when we talk about marriage, before you get into it, right, the goal of two becoming one is you got to at least know what, what you're in for, right? And look at these statistics. It's like, it's like scary. 42% of marriages and divorce, that is not correct. This must be from a few years ago, right? It's way above 50%, 60% of second marriages, 73% of third marriages. Don't think it gets better. All right, so let's figure out the secret of how to have long-lasting love. Okay, so I want to begin by defining love. But before we can define love, we have to dispel a couple of misconceptions that people have about love. What is love? What do you guys say? Can someone give me a definition of love? What is it? Person, place, thing? What is love? What's love got to do with it? That's the, actually the name of this class. Uh, formally. What is love, guys? Oh, you're tapping in the chat? That makes it complicated for me. Screen share, chatting. Baby, don't hurt me. I like that. Oh, that was Rebecca. <laughs> Thank you. All right. What is love? What is love? Love, my friends, if you're not going to participate, I'm just going to have to give you the answers, but I'd much rather hear from you. So if you ask most people, love is a feeling. You agree? 
Love is a feeling. Love is this incredible feeling that you have when you fall in love. Right? It's this uncontrollable, unbelievable, ecstatic experience of not being alone, receiving affection, connection, finally, finally being understood. Right? Love is... The myth, number one, that we're going to spell is that love is a feeling. And how do you fall in love with someone? How do, where do those feelings come from? Anyone? What do, you, what do you have to do to get that feeling of love to happen? Beautiful. So you're already giving the answers. Let's start with the myths. Before we give the answers, let's start with the wrong answer. That's the way, Jewish way. So excellent. And you'll share, share, some, share some of that lesson when we get there, hopefully if we have time. So where does love come from? How does a person fall in love? What do you have to do to fall in love? Anyone? You have to be in the right place at the right time, right? Myth number two is that love happens instantly. You just have to show up. You show up, guy meets girl, and or uh, happen to bump into each other, music starts playing, and you instantly fall in love. And do you have to do anything to earn that experience? No, you just have to get shot by Cupid's arrow, right? You show up, Cupid shoots one arrow here, one arrow there, and Jack and Jill fall instantly in love. So myth, Miss number three is that love is effortless. You don't have to do anything to it. It just ha it happens on its own. And and when you when you ask people, you know, why, what's your reason for getting getting divorced? What do you what do you think some of the reasons people give are? Yeah, the, we fell out of love. Just like we fell into love, we fell out of love. What are some other reasons? Is something somehow we're not we're not on the same page. We're not we ch something changed, right? We were right for each other, but we're no longer right for each other. So easy come, easy go, right? And that's really misconception number four is that love is easy. We think that you know one time um, Matt, I think Matt Damon, not Matt Damon, sorry, sorry. Who's the guy from the other guy from uh, from from? Uh, Oh shoot! What's that movie with the guy in Boston who's really smart? Oh, you guys got another movie I'm talking about. No, not that one. Close. No. <laughs> All right. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, yeah. Who? What's the guy's name? What's the actor's name? Not Matt Damon. The other one. The other one. No. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck one time got up publicly, I believe, at the uh, at the Oscars, and he said, marriage is hard. And I was, like, so proud of him. Like, it's amazing. He's sharing with the world, like, the truth. He's willing to work, put in the work. It takes work. It's hard to be married. And then, like, we've, a few months later, he got divorced. So I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> it was a bad sign. I thought it was a good sign when he said it. All right, so we think that love is easy and another thing that we often think is that what happens when you find the right one 
right? It's about finding that one, that person that completes your sentences. You have all things in common. There's this instant magical chemistry. And when you find the one, you'll live happily ever after. And that brings us to the next two myths, that love is about finding the right one. When you find that one, your soulmate, everything changes, life becomes fantastic, start walking on air. And finally, myth number six is that love lasts forever. And when you find that one, you'll be together, you'll never leave. So I actually saw a great line in the New York Times article. Op-ed in the New York Times, uh, written about a woman who was like three times divorced. I'll read you what she writes. She says, I've had an optimistic view of divorce. My parents divorced amicably when I was five, and I remained close to both of them. My father now lives jovially with his third ex-wife, who has become his roommate. My sister recently completed her second divorce and seems happier than ever. I know this may sound as if my family doesn't respect marriage, but we care about it deeply. We just keep breaking up mediocre ones in pursuit of a better match. And that, I believe, is the dogma in society, is we have to find the right one, and that's why it's not working, because it wasn't the right one. So the question is, where do we get these ideas from? Where do all these myths about marriage come from? What do you guys say? Bingo. Disney. Now you might, now I'll, I'll ask you, you know, in, Judy, in Jewish circles before getting married, it's mandatory for the chassan and kala, for the bride and groom, to spend several weeks or months studying about the laws of marriage and the philosophy of how to have a good marriage. Right? But in the secular world, you need a license to drive a car, you need a license for a gun, hopefully, right? But you don't need a license really, I mean, you get a marriage license, but you don't need it to take any classes before getting married. No one's teaching you how to do it. So how is one a person supposed to get married without any education on what marriage is all about? Because most of us, the marriages we saw might not have been perfect ones. So the answer is, is that we do, we actually do have a lot of education about marriage. We have hours and hours and hours of education about what marriage is supposed to look like. And it comes from Disney, right? We've all been brainwashed with Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. I mean, this is like, these stories are crazy. Sleeping Beauty, it's like, it's rape. The guy raped her. He kissed her when she was sleeping. And then they fell magically in love. Cinderella, she had to like dress up like somebody else. He only liked her because she had the special slipper. And like they don't even talk to each other. They don't know each other. But it's instant magical love. And then the movie ends. You know what happened the next day? They realize like, wait a minute. We don't even like speak the same language. We have nothing in common. Bye. Get out of my house. And her life is ruined because the prince basically used her like he probably used dozens of other women. Right? So like we, we have to kind of get these ideas out of our head and begin to understand what love is is really all about. So let's go into some of the Jewish sources about what love is. All right, so let's go to fact number one. Okay, fact number one about love. Love is not a feeling. Do you know what love is? Love is a choice. Love is a choice. What kind of choice is love? 
So you know that feeling that we talk about, like of being in love? You know what that is? That's actually the byproduct of all sorts of testosterone, endorphins, and uh, oxytocin that go on in your mind when your body gets ready to mate with somebody, right? So those are that's a chemical reaction and that psychologically, physiologically speaking, cannot last for more than two years. So that feeling always inevitably ends. So you do not fall in love, you fall in infatuation. You fall in infatuation. If you find yourself falling for somebody, that is a feeling that's a chemical, biological experience that has nothing to do with love. Take the word falling in love out of your vocabulary because it's nothing to do with love. You don't fall in love, you climb in love. Love is a choice. It's a choice to do something very specific. It's a conscious decision. Okay, that's fact number one. And infatuation is a fleeting feeling that cannot last. So fact number two, love is not easy. Ben Affleck had it right. Love is not easy. Infatuation is easy. You don't have to do anything to become infatuated with somebody. What is love? Love begins when infatuation ends. Infatuation is instant, easy, effortless, and euphoric. It's an unbelievable experience because it's free. You don't have to do anything. Love takes work. Let me repeat that. Love takes hard work. Okay? And once the feeling of infatuation ends, that is when love begins. Love begins when infatuation ends. That's what separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls. Is what do you do when the feeling of infatuation goes away, as it inevitably will? Six months to two years into a relationship, you get sick of each other. You get bored. The feelings start to arise. The reality starts to come out. You start to realize that this person isn't perfect. They have all sorts of flaws. So love begins when infatuation ends. And now you have to make a commitment. Am I in this or am I just touring? Am I in this for the long run? Love starts when infatuation ends. See, dating, what is dating all about? When I'm dating someone, who is it all about? What's the focus of my attention? When you're dating someone, it's all about you. I, I want it's, it's a completely selfish experience. Even if you have incredible love feelings for the person, dating someone is 100% selfishly motivated. Prove that to me. Tell me how, tell me how you know that that's 100% true. Or challenge me. What's the proof? What do I mean dating is 100% selfish? How do you know it's 100% selfish? How do you know it's all about you? Anyone? Please call out instead of chatting because I can't see the chats. Ah. Because what are you asking someone when you're dating them? What are you thinking in your mind? 
Please don't chat, guys. Please call out. Uh, do I like them? Is it good for me? And what if, what if you're thinking about them? What if you're like really, really all about them when you're dating? Give me another concrete 100% knockout proof that really it's all about you. Yeah. When you're dating, yeah. And you might you might know them, you might have been dating them for 10 years. What's so why after 10 years is it still all about you? What's the proof? Ah, because when you're dating, what do you have freedom to do at any time? Leave. When you can leave at any time, when you, when then the whole relationship is about you. If I'm in it at any time, I'm saying, it's, it, do I like it? And you know what? I don't like it. You know what I do? Pack my bags and leave. That means it's all about me. Marriage, on the other hand, is all about we. Love is about we. It's not about me. It's about we and even it's even something more than just we but because when i'm dating i'm just deciding do i like this thing you know there's there's a famous jewish metaphor that a guy goes into a restaurant and the waiter says we have a special fish special tonight and the guy says fish i love fish i'll take the fish and the waiter says you love fish you love fish. If you love fish, you would go into the kitchen and you would smash all the fish tanks and you would f grab those fish and run to the ocean and throw them back in. If you love fish, you would chain, you would join Greenpeace and chain yourself to the bottom of a of a tuna tanker, right? You don't love fish. You love yourself and you like what fish does for you. See, that's the way we approach dating. Do I like what I'm getting out of this? I spoke to a student who's been dating a girl for seven years. They met on birthright. And he said, Rabbi, I'm just not getting anything out of it anymore. I said, who says you're supposed to get something out of it? What are you giving? Which brings us to the next point about love. Love is not forever. Love has to be made continuously. It has to be generated. It's not something that inst you just get it and you're done. You have to make love last. You have to learn how to constantly generate that continuous thing. And how do we do that? And as someone pointed out, I think Elizabeth, it is through giving that we generate love. If you ever ask yourself, you know, what's the greatest paradigm of love that we all have in our life? It's not your boyfriend and your girlfriend. What is the, the real greatest paradigm that each and every one of us hopefully have had in our life? Kind of goes back to the last conversation that you guys were having with Mary Rosenfeld. Right? Is that most people experience a love relationship with their parents. And of course, uh, there are degenerative parents and abusive parents. But usually, in most scenarios, who, who loves more? The parents? love the kids or the kids love the parents your parents love you more than they love than you love them what do you say 
Ah, so what? Ah, excellent, excellent. So it's it's an unbelievable thing. In Hebrew, the word for love is ahava, and the word ahava comes from the root word hav which we learned from Aramaic, which is very related to Hebrew, means to give. The root of the word love is to give. And the sages teach us an amazing thing, that you don't give to the person that you love, you love the person you give to. And the more you give to a person will literally generate that love experience. You know, I'll, I'll tell you an example, you know, again, you ever hear someone divorcing their kids? Unfortunately, it happens, right? But it's kind of rare, much rarer than people divorcing their spouse. Like, imagine coming into your kids one day, gathering all the kids together in the living room and saying, like, kids, I'm really sorry to break this to you, but I've fallen in love with the neighbor's kids. Right? You just you don't just do that. I mean, you know, they don't wake me up at night. They don't scribble all over the walls. They don't have snot dripping down their faces. You know, the neighbor's kids are so much better than you. I'm out. Peace. You know, people don't do that, yet it happens in marriages all the time. So why is that? Is because the investment that you give to your children. You know, you guys, you don't wake me up in the middle of the night. I don't have to change your diapers, thank God. You know, I don't have to pay your tuition for school. And yet, I would probably, you know, if it was you versus my kids, I would run into a flaming building and save my kids before I save you. Is that crazy? I should really save you guys first. You're not charging, costing me any money. You're not waking me up. You know, but... I'm invested in my kids. There's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, they're, they're part of me, but one of the reasons is because I am invested in giving to my kids. If you ever think about like, when it comes to husband and wife, right? So, when our first son was born, my son just turned 13, had a bar mitzvah. Nathan met him tonight. He's like taller than me, right? He's a good looking boy. So, when my son was born, I was expecting like this magical experience and I'm in the hospital and they hand him to me and I don't know if you ever looked at like a brand new baby as after he came out his face is all shriveled up he's like kind of like purplish blue gray like weird color his face is cone he has a cone head and I'm like ah, this is my son I was expecting like tears pouring down my you know and I'm like ah, take him back it's a face only a mother could love. My wife looks at him and she's like, I'm in love. He's so cute. Oh my gosh, he's amazing. And I was like, what in the world is wrong with her? And, you know, there is also the oxytocin and the hormones after giving birth, you know, the whole thing. But uh, why does she have this relationship with the kid? And it took me, I wrote an article about this actually. You can look on age.com. It's called A Father's Love. That a father's relationship with kids is completely different than a mother's relationship. And one of the reasons for that, so it took me months of changing diapers, waking up in the middle of the night, not sleeping to develop a relationship with that kid. My wife's was instant. Why? And more than giving birth, carrying him around for nine months, walking up and hill the hills of Israel in the heat of the summer, you know, heartburn for months on end. 
I also get heartburn. They say that fathers have 50% of the symptoms of pregnancy. So, uh, but she had invested in a relationship through giving to this child. So the more you give, the more you get. The more you develop and invest in relationship, the more pain, the more gain. So, which brings us to the next point. I don't even know what it is. Fact number six. Ah, it's not about finding the perfect one. There is no perfect one. If you think that your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend is perfect, that's not love. That's infatuation. Love is when you see their imperfections and you love them anyway. When you see their flaws and you learn to see the good instead of the bad, that's love. It's not about finding the perfect one. Your soulmate isn't perfect. The goal of the soulmate is to challenge you to become the best you. And that means conflict, right? They're not perfect. They're perfect for you. They're perfectly designed. We believe in soulmates. Your soulmate is designed to help bring you to the greatest person you could possibly be by challenging you, by pushing your buttons, by forcing you to grow up and become a big boy or girl. So opposites attract in, in, in chemistry, in science, atoms, electrons, neutrons, pro, right? And, and in reality, opposites attract. If, when there's opposites, there's tension. Tension means you have to grow. Marriage is not about finding the right one. You know what it's about? Being the right one. Turning yourself into the right one that can make the other person into your soulmate. It requires work, hard work, investment, commitment. So love only begins when infatuation ends. It's only called love when there's a ring on your finger and you are committed to stay and do the work. If you're free to go whenever you want, it's all about you. And love is all about the other person. Making the other person's needs your number one priority in life. Okay? Any questions on anything we said until now? And then we're going to transition into talking a little bit about the Torah and mitzvahs. Questions? Ask Rebecca. Happy to share it. Any other questions? Should we move right along? Please, questions. Ah, that is a great question. That is a fantastic question. Can you hold it for a few minutes? And we'll come back to it? The answer is, is, uh, Alexi, it is imperative that the other person's well-being become just as valuable as your own. But if you're one, the goal of marriage and Judaism is to become one with another person. That means their needs are your needs. Do you see the difference? Of course, if they're abusive or if you have self-esteem issues and you're letting them step all over you and you don't have proper boundaries, so that's not a healthy thing. But if you are secure and strong in yourself and recognize that they have your best interest in mind just as you have their best interest in mind, so then it becomes 100% giving. Right? It's not a 50-50 partnership. It's not a business deal. It's I give to you 100%. And you know what? 
you give to me 100% also. And there are times when you can't, and there are times when I can, and then other times the vice versa. But if we don't have that initial assumption that I'm in this for you, my, the goal of my life now is your happiness. But the caveat that Alexi's pointing out is first you have to be aware of your own loving yourself and caring about your own personal ba- boundaries and your own security, right? If you go into a relationship without sense of self, so then you're going to end up getting lost in the relationship. That's not the goal. To become one doesn't mean you lose yourself. It means you expand yourself. Okay, great question. Thank you, Alexi. And happy to talk about it further. Anytime. <laughs> All right, let's go, uh, let's go on. And please feel free, though, if you have other questions. Okay, I don't know how to go now to the middle of the slides, so I gotta start over from the beginning and go really quick. Wait, maybe I can just resume slideshow. There we go. Okay. So now I wanna share with you a little bit, uh, oh, fact number seven. Here we go. Okay, how do we show our love? So Judaism can be summarized, the goal of Judaism. And there are different ways of phrasing this, but ultimately this is the number one answer. The goal of Judaism is to have a love relationship with God. That is the goal of Judaism, is that we should have a love, intimate relationship with God in all the things that we do in every moment of our life. So you ever meet someone who calls themselves a cardiac Jew? You know what a cardiac Jew is? Someone who says, I have Judaism in my heart. I don't keep Shabbos, I don't keep kosher, I don't go to synagogue, but I love Judaism, I love God. I have love for God in my heart. So, you know, in, in fact, Christianity is really based on that. One of the original things that Christianity did was get rid of mitzvahs. You don't have to do anything. You just have to believe. You just have to have love in your heart. I once had a guy um, stay over at my house when I was living in Svat in northern Israel. I was studying yeshiva. And I met this hippie guy. I told him he could sleep in my house. He slept over the night. And um, that morning, I was like, I'm going to teach him a Kabbalistic thing. I want to inspire him. He was on his way to India. And I was like, let me teach him a little Kabbalah. Maybe he'll stay in Israel and learn a little about Judaism. Jewish guy. So I said to him, you know, in Judaism, we put on our right shoe first and then our left shoe because the right represents love and kindness in Kabbalah and the left represents strength. And we always want to emphasize the right. In Judaism, we always do the things on the right side first to emphasize love as being the number most, one, most important uh, energy or emotion. And he said, God doesn't care how I put my shoes on. God just cares if I have love in my heart. Now, you see, I was also telling him that love in your heart is important, but I put it into my actions, into the way I do my actions. But he's like, no, God doesn't care how I tie my shoes. He cares about if I have love in my heart. So I was like, all right, whatever. I went to synagogue, came home after synagogue, and I had this apple that I had bought the day before. And I was so excited to eat this apple for breakfast, like a beautiful, red, delicious apple. And I come home, and the guy was gone, and so was my apple. The dude ate my apple. You know how frustrating I was that? Now, God only cares about having love in your heart, but you eat another person's apple without asking. So the problem is, is that Judaism says it's not about what your beliefs are. Christianity is religion of creed. Judaism is religion of deed. What do you do? Does Do your belief system trickle down into your everyday actions? Because if a person says, I'm a cardiac Jew, I have love in my heart, what's the purpose of the heart? The purpose of the heart is to pump blood through your limbs. If the blood if the blood just stays in your heart and it doesn't do anything, that's called a heart attack. Okay? So we got to get our love to generate actions. Love is all about actions, okay? If I 
want to show my wife I love her. I say, I love you. I love you. I don't take out the dishes. I don't do I don't go to do the groceries. I don't put the kids to sleep. Don't don't take out the garbage. I just love you. How long is that relationship going to last? Love without actions is nothing. It's a waste of time. Okay? So now the what is Judaism all about? It's about commandments. What's a commandment? That sounds really weird, right? So the Talmud asks a question. The Talmud says, is it better to do something because you're inspired or is it better to do it because you're commanded to do it? What do you guys say? Is it better to get your wife flowers or your boyfriend flowers because you're just really in the mood or because it's your anniversary? Which do you think is better? Which shows more love? The mood, right? Nathan? The mood. Okay, so Judaism says the exact opposite. It is much better to do something, and by the way, that's how you know Judaism is true. It always is the exact opposite of what you would think. And then when you hear it, you realize, oh my gosh, it's so true. Right? Because we don't honor, without the Torah training, we just don't think of things in the proper way. It's just the way it works. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Listen to this. The Talmud says, when you get your wife flowers because you feel like it, who's that about? That's all about you. When you do it because you're commanded, because it's your anniversary, you're saying, your feelings are more important than mine. I'm doing this because you want me to do it, not because I want to do it. So that is the ultimate expression of love, is when you do it because you're commanded to do it. So a commandment is, is like a mitzvah, right? Is an obligation. When you're obligated to do it, for do something for someone, their world becomes your priority. Their needs become your priority, not your feelings. When it's about me wanting to be inspired and get my wife flowers, so it's the same as dating. I'm feeling into it right now, but tomorrow I'm not into it, I'm not getting you flowers tomorrow. Oh, you want flowers tomorrow? Eh, whatever. But it's when you want flowers and I go and do it even though I don't want to, that shows true love and true commitment. So every relationship in life has commandments. Did you know that? Every relationship has commandments. The more intimate the relationship, the more commandments. Right? Me and my neighbor, we have three commandments. Thou shalt not throw garbage on my lawn. Thou shalt not blast loud music at night. And thou shalt say hello in the morning. Those are my three mitzvahs with my neighbor. And if you ever need to borrow some butter or milk or whatever, we say yes, no problem. Don't worry about it, right? That's that's the commandments of, of, of neighbors. Four, four commandments, really. But with your spouse, there's hundreds of commandments, right? My wife, so many commandments. Take out the garbage, do the dishes, say goodnight, wake up with kids in the morning, right? Anniversary presents, birthday presents, and Hebrew birthday, English birthday, right? The more, don't throw your socks on the floor. The more intimate the relationship, the more commandments. And that's the way it should be. Because that means that there's relationship. You're telling the other person what you want. So a, a prerequisite for marriage, for relationship, is knowing what your spouse wants. If you don't know what your spouse wants, you can't have a relationship with them. They need to be able to articulate what they want. There's a great book. I recommend it for anyone who wants to get married. The Seven Love Languages. It's a, there's a lot of Jesus stuff in there, but I actually have a Jewish version. You could order a Jewish version where they take it all out. It's an amazing book where it shows that each of us have 
you know, different ways that we like to experience love. Some people like to experience love through getting gifts. Some people like quality time. Some people like acts of, uh, of physical affection. Some people like conversations, right? There's seven different ways that people like to express, experience love. How, how do you think you are probably gonna try to show your spouse love? That's right. You think, well, the, I love back rubs. I'm gonna give my wife a, a back rub, right? Turns out that that's ridiculous because that's ludicrous because your spouse probably doesn't have the same love language as you do. So love is all about learning to understand their world. How do they experience love? What makes them feel safe and connected and understood? So, for example, on my birthday, right? My wife makes me my favorite food on my birthday. Eggs Benedict, eggs Florentine without the without the Canadian bacon. And uh, I love it, right? Imagine if I made her eggs Benedict for her birthday. She can't even look at the thing. She like makes it with her eyes closed. It's disgusting to her. But okay, so that's what love is about, is doing what they want, not what you want. So the Torah literally gives us a guide for having an intimate relationship with God because it tells us what God wants from us. That's the idea of mitzvahs. So love is about making the other person's needs your priority. So what does the word mitzvah mean? Does anyone know what the word mitzvah means? Nathan, come on, you speak Hebrew. <laughs> mitzvah. A mitzvah is a good deed, it's commandment. The word mitzvah literally means a commandment, right? We have, how many mitzvahs are there in the Torah? 613 commandments between us and God. But the word, the Kabbalists explain, the word mitzvah actually comes from the Hebrew word safsa. Nathan, what's a tzevet? It's a group, it's a team. The word safsa means a t an intimate team, a connection. The word mitzvah literally means an act of connection. Because if I tell you what I want, what's going to make me feel connected to you, and you do it, that's an act of connection. If you do what you like, there's no connection there. If you do what I like, the Torah is literally a guide to relationship with God, self, and others. The goal of the Torah is to teach us to have an intimate relationship with ourselves first and foremost and the litmus test of your spirituality is are you connecting to yourself in a deeper way are you loving and accepting yourself in a deeper way are you understanding and learning about yourself in a deeper way number two when you connect to yourself you realize inside yourself is God because our soul is a piece of God literally the more you connect to yourself the more you connect to God learning to have a love relationship with God mitzvahs are how can we tell God I love you 613 different ways, a hundred times a day. How can I say I love you, God? Thank you for this life you've given me. And ultimately, the ultimate litmus test of your spirituality is can you love other people? Because the more connected you are to their soul, the more you realize that everyone's soul is connected. On the soul level, we are all one. If you truly are connecting to your soul and to God, that means you love other people. And if you really love other people, so what does it take to have a love relationship with another person? So let's just review quickly. Love is not a feeling, doesn't happen instantly. 
It doesn't last forever. Love begins when infatuation ends. It takes hard work and commitment. You have to generate love. How? By giving. By giving to another person. By committing to give no matter how, what you're getting back. As long as you're not being abused. Abuse is a different story. Abuse has to stop. But no matter what, I am giving to you forever. Forever means forever. I don't care. You might be times when you're ugly. There might be times when you're tired. Might be times we're not getting along. Doesn't matter. My job is to give to you forever. And it's in the marriage contract. It's not about finding the right one. It's about being the right one. And now let's go back. The Torah says that God held the mountain over our heads. Why did he do that? Why did God hold the mountain over our heads if we already said, I do, I love you? So the Torah explains that at, in Egypt, when God took us out of Egypt, we fell in love, head over heels with God. We were dating God through the desert for 49 days. Oh, I love you. I'm infatuated. We arrived at Mount Sinai. Fireworks. It was amazing. We were in the romance stage, the infatuation stage. And then God said, Will you marry me? We said, of course I will. And God said, not so fast. And he held the mountain over our heads. And he said, you got to commit. It's not about doing it because you feel it, because you're inspired, because that inspiration is going to end. It's going to go away. You're not going to feel it all the time. You have to generate it through commitment, through giving. What do you have to give to me? I'm going to give you a book. In that book is all the things I like. And if you really love me, you're going to learn how to do those things for me. You're going to learn how to do them with a smile. You're going to learn about them to understand the meaning of why I like those things. You're going to learn about the types of flowers I like. You're going to give them to me with a smile. You're going to learn to generate that love, not just when you feel like it, right? When you're inspired, you pray to God, oh, thank you, God, I'm alive. I'm having a great day. Thank you. You're not in the mood. Forget you, God. What do I need you for? That's not love. Love is even when I don't feel in the mood, I'm going to still say thank you because it's about you. It's not about me. And each mitzvah is another chance to say, I love you to Hashem. So on Shavuos, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through the wedding ceremony again. That chuppah, where we stand on the chuppah and we say, I do. When we say, I do, it's about a life of two becoming one, of making your will, my will. It takes place on the individual level and on the national level between us and each other, us and ourselves, and us and God. So I'm going to wish you all a lifetime of love relationship with yourself, with others, and with the creator of the universe. And uh, thank you guys for joining me.